Father, we come now to your word and we ask that you would use it to show us more of you, to reveal yourself to us, that we could see you in your goodness. Father, we thank you that you are perfectly holy. You are perfectly righteous. You are perfectly just. You are perfectly good. We want to see that goodness more clearly today. Praise you for your goodness. Declare your goodness. Make it known to the ends of this earth. Father, we come this morning and we lift up um, those who are scattered along the Gulf Coast this morning. Father, we ask that your hand would be strong to save and to rescue and to deliver, to protect. Father, we continue to lift up brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan who are today trying to do exactly what we're doing right here, but uncertain of what's coming next. Father, we continue to lift up those in Haiti who continue to deal with the aftermath of devastating earthquake. Lord, in our own church, and our own community, we lift up those today who are hospitalized due to coronavirus, Father, for healthcare workers who are overwhelmed, for all of us who are navigating the unique challenges that this presents. Lord, in the midst of all the mess, help us today to see that you're good. Remind us, Lord, that you're good and that you work all things together, even the worst of things together, for the good of those who love you. And Father, we love you. Lord, we love you. To speak to us through your word, would it edify your church, glorify your name, sanctify us in your truth because your word is truth. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, and as you find your seats this morning, I'm gonna invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Isaiah chapter six, we'll be looking together at verses one through, excuse me, verses eight through 13 this morning. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, our church family has been walking verse by verse through Isaiah chapter six. This is now week four of this. Um, and we're gonna be closing out this short message series today. What we've seen over the last few weeks is that uh, during the time of the nation of Judah and reign of a man named King Uzziah, who had a long and prosperous reign, during the year of his death, a prophet named Isaiah received a vision of the Lord. Now, Uzziah was a very influential figure for the people of Judah. He had led a decades long reign that led to great national and economic prosperity. But as the nation had grown strong, the people grew proud and their worship grew cold. Their worship of the Lord was just checking off the boxes, going through the motions. It was uh, all head and no heart. And it got so bad to the point that the Lord finally said, look, just stop doing these things. He says, stop singing your songs, stop holding your festivals, stop praying your prayers. They've all become a burden to me because it was all disconnected from the heart and they were just going through the motions. So it's during this time of great spiritual drought that Isaiah receives his vision of the Lord. At a time where the Lord had become unreal and impersonal, the Lord became very real and very personal to Isaiah. And we saw a few weeks ago that the first glimpse of, I, uh, of the Lord that was received by Isaiah is that the Lord is holy. He is high and lifted up. He is seated on the throne. He is transcendent. He is above all things. And the whole earth is full of his glory in such a way that no one can say they've not seen the glory of the Lord. 
We saw the next week that the revelation of God's holiness reveals the depths of our sinfulness. When you and I, as sinful people, come into the presence of a holy God, we immediately recognize that we are not holy. All of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of our inadequacy, it's all magnified in the presence of the holiness of God. But then last week, we saw a glimpse of God's grace and his mercy. God, because he is good, because he is loving, because he is gracious, because he is kind, he has made a way through the sacrifice of another that you and I can be purified of our sins and we can stand justified and confident in the presence of a holy God who is the just judge and ruler of the universe. And today we're going to see now a picture of our mission how we live our lives in response to who God is, who we are, what he's done for us, and who it is he's called us to be, and what it is he's called us to do. So we've seen uh, this passage break down into four components of his holiness, our sinfulness. Last week we saw his mercy. Today we're going to see our mission. And as we've done this, we've seen the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel unfold in four distinct movements of God, man, Christ, and response. So today we We'll be looking at the response. The response to this holy God, the response to his love, the response to his grace, the response to his mercy. We see today that the Lord calls us into ministry and then he commissions us with his message. You know, um, typically when I'm preparing a message, I'm doing that about two or three weeks in advance of when I'm actually going to preach it. I at least kind of put the bones of it together, do my basic study, and uh, get that to the staff what they need. So our community groups are sermon-based discussions, so Dustin needs that in advance so that he can develop content for groups. And then uh, we try to form our worship services around the text for that day, so Grayson and the worship team need that for scripture selections and song selections. So it's usually a couple weeks in advance, and this might sound a little bit weird to you, but the very last thing... Thing I actually do when I'm developing a sermon is write the introduction. It's the thing that I save for the very last piece of, of sermon preparation, and it's something I don't usually do until about two or three days in advance of when I'm actually preaching it. Now, if you've been a part of our church for a while, you know that we're committed to the verse-by-verse preaching of God's Word. Uh, This is also known as text-driven preaching, expositional preaching. We simply want to unfold the Word of God verse-by-verse and ask, what does it say? What does it mean? Uh, And how do we live in response to what it reveals? How does it point us to Jesus Christ? And so one of the reasons why I saved the introduction for last is because I want to make sure it's the text driving me and not me driving the text. I want to make sure I'm being driven by the Spirit and, drive the, and, and by the Word and not me being in the driver's seat, driving the Spirit and driving the Word, taking it where I want it to go. Um, so, you know, got to the, towards the end of this past week and was going Thursday to sit down and develop the introduction around the same time that I normally do. And it just so happened, uh, here we are for four weeks, we've been building up to Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. We've been building up to Isaiah 6, 8 and the rest of this chapter, and it just so happened that there was a very prominent use of Isaiah 6, 8 in our nation just a few days ago. So in response just to the, the devastation that occurred to the, uh, the Marines and, and the Navy whose lives were lost in Afghanistan this past week, President Biden uh, used Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 as sort of a military cry and a rallying cry for military power in support. And, and this has been pretty broadly panned by, by those on both sides because you see pretty quickly uh, that that was not an appropriate use of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. 
Uh, here I am, send me. It's, it's Isaiah responding in, in response to and in, in light of the revelation of God's grace and his holiness. It's a prophetic vision of grace and peace that's being declared by God to a sinful people. It's not a rallying cry for military support. And so I'll be honest, I mean, Emily will tell you like Thursday, man, like I was pretty fired up when this happened. I'm like, man, I'm, it's Thursday. I'm ready to tee it up right now. Like, let's go. And, and, and honestly, like I've had to really battle the last few days. What I really want to get up here and do right now is just unload on the misuse of this. Because we literally just spoke to this like two weeks ago. Like how we as a nation, we as a culture, our elected officials in particular, we have this tendency to trivialize holy things. We'll take the word of God, we'll quote it wildly out of context for whatever our use is in that given moment. And this should burden us. This should grieve us that we are so quick that we will so easily trivialize holy things, that we will trifle with the holy word of God. But then yesterday morning, sitting down, just kind of meditating again on this passage, Isaiah 6, and the Lord just really pierced my heart in the midst of all that because I was angry and I'm frustrated. And I'm reminded just reading there in verses 4 and 5 that when Isaiah came into the presence of the Lord and he saw his holiness and his glory, Isaiah's response was not, woe are they. His response was, woe is me. And I had to be reminded that I too am a man of unclean lips. That I too have trifled with holy things. That I too have trivialized holy things. And were it not for the grace and the mercy of God poured out on me through Jesus Christ, that I too would be in danger of trivializing the holiness of God in such a way that it would invite his judgment on my life. And so I just had to get my own heart in, in check for that because, you know, truthfully, even, even as we saw it misused, very badly misused just a few days ago, and I think if we're being honest, like we, we haven't totally grappled with the full meaning of this passage even within the church. Now, if you've spent any time within the church, you're probably familiar with the words of Isaiah 6, 8. Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. This is Isaiah's response to the prophetic revelation of who God is. And typically we'll use this in some sort of a commissioning service. You know, we're going to send out a missionary or a mission team. And what we have in mind is here's the, the group of heroes. Like they have volunteered, you know, God's kind of Uncle Sam, like in the picture, I want you. And, and, and these are the people who have said, hey, I'll go, I'll volunteer, I'll be a part of this. And we send them out. And I think we typically send them out sort of like with, with Billy Graham crusade visions, right? Like what we imagine as we, as we send out this heroic, here I am, send me crowd, like we, we think of stadiums full of thousands of people. We think of stadiums full of thousands of people. And man, Billy Graham just had that magic touch, right? Like he just like read John three sixteen, and 10,000 people would get saved. It, it was incredible. Like that's what we tend to think about. Like here I am, Lord, send me. And so it just makes me wonder, have we truly grappled with this passage? Because whenever the Lord sent Isaiah, that's not what he had in mind. When the Lord sent Isaiah, he, he warned him. He said, I'm sending you to a people who are going to hear, but they're not actually going to hear. They're going to see, but they're not actually going to see. And by almost every measurable modern objective today, you and I would consider Isaiah's mission a failure. And it just makes me wonder sometimes, church, have we truly grappled with what it is you and I have been called to? Have we truly grappled with what it is that we have been called to? Because sometimes when the Lord calls us, it doesn't look like we would have planned ourselves. And that's what we're going to see through the ministry of Isaiah today. There's a documentary that I want to commend to you. Uh, it's called Sheep Among Wolves. 
Um, probably not one for pizza and movie night, but it's, it's, it's powerful, it's moving, but it's also very gripping. And it's about the growth of the church in Iran over the last few decades. So man, just in spite of intense persecution and opposition, the church in Iran has just continued to explode. And so this documentary, they interview uh, some of the folks who are key leaders in that movement. They spent some time in the United States. And it got to the point during their time in the States, one of the women who was involved uh, said to her husband, she said, I'm ready to return home. And, and they got into a little bit of the why. And she said, it feels like a satanic lullaby has fallen over this land. She said, all of the Christians here have grown sleepy and I'm growing sleepy. The church, what we have spent the last four weeks in Isaiah chapter six, because it's a call for us to wake up. It's a call for us to again be awakened to the holiness of God, to the glory of God, to the beauty of God, to the majesty of God, to the transcendence of God who is above it all. It's a call to be reawakened to who we were, what was the depth of our sin, to be reawakened to the good news of the gospel, the grace and the mercy that was poured out on us through Jesus Christ. But we are not saved simply for our own sake. We are saved that others may be saved. Christ makes him known to self. God makes himself known to us so that we might make him known to others. And I want to call us to, to get our minds out of the gutters and out of the blenders because what's happened to us, the way we've been lulled to sleep over the last couple of years, man, so many of us, your mind just in the blender right now. And we've got to rescue our minds. We've got to rescue our hearts. We've got to rescue our affections from the culture wars and from the echo chambers and from the conspiracy theories, just the way we saw in Isaiah chapter eight. And it's not a call to bury your head in the sand and pretend like nothing's wrong in the world, but this is a call for us to lift our eyes and see the Lord. Because when we have seen the Lord, we cannot unsee the Lord. And it becomes clear in the way that we live in response to his calling. So today we're, we're going to spend a few moments looking at that calling, some implications within that calling, and I'm going to give us a few challenges as we close uh, this text out this morning. So uh, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, I've challenged you to memorize this uh, over the last two weeks. Just quick show of hands, who's memorized it or working on it right now? Okay, cool. And so this is going to be on the screen, and um, if you know it, man, maybe, maybe close your eyes. This is your opportunity to practice, and I'll give you a gold star later. It'll be awesome. And uh, go to the Cross Kids room. I'm sure they have that too. And, uh, but everybody else, too, I, I just want to encourage you just to follow along. Let, let's immerse ourselves one more week in this vision. Here's how we see it. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. Seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And what's the response? And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. 
This is God's word. And I want us to to see this picture of him one more time as we look at this text today. So we're going to look primarily here at verse 8 at the beginning. We want to look at uh, the Lord's commissioning of Isaiah. And so we're going to look at this in three parts. We're going to look at the call, the response, and the mission. Look at some implications of that mission, and then I'll give us a few challenges as we wrap up. So let's look first at the call, verse 8. Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So we see first here a picture of the call. And and what we see right away is that the Lord has not revealed himself to Isaiah. He's not revealed his holiness. He's not revealed his glory. He's not revealed his grace and his mercy and all these deep doctrinal and theological truths so that Isaiah can pass an exam. He's not revealed himself just so that Isaiah will be saved and be sanctified. He has revealed himself that Isaiah might be sent out. Our God is ascending God. In verses one through four, Isaiah saw the Lord. Then in verses five through seven, he hears the voice of the Lord. So this is the first time, or hears the voice of the seraphim, but this is the first time he's heard the voice of the Lord. And what are the first words that we hear coming out of the mouth of the Lord? Whom shall I send? It's the first time we've heard the Lord's voice. Whom shall I send? Our God is a sending God. That This is rooted in the earliest foundations of scripture. Genesis chapter one, we know this as the cultural mandates. The Lord tells man and woman, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It was always God's intention that his image in man would be multiplied to the ends of the earth. Genesis 12, God sends out Abraham from his homeland and says, I will make a great nation of you. Exodus chapter three, God sends Moses to deliver Israel from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. All throughout the Old Testament, God sends judges and prophets to call the people to account, to uphold the standard of his word. We see in the ministry of the message of the gospels that God sends his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God incarnate, fully revealed to mankind as fully God and fully man to be the savior of the world. And at the end of the gospels, we see Jesus in his final words, sending his church. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the ends of the age. Our God is ascending God. He doesn't just save us for our own sake. He doesn't just sanctify us for our own sake. He saves us and he sanctifies us, but then he sends us. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? So this is one of our glimpses into who God is, and it's a picture of a doctrine we know as the Trinity. The doctrine of the Trinity tells us that there is one God. He eternally exists as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this is the us in verse 8. Whom shall I send who will go for us? Our three times holy God also exists as three distinct persons. Whom shall I send who will go for us? This goes back to Genesis chapter one, verse 26, where we first see this language. God, before he gives that cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply, he says, let us make man in our own image. Let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. And then he sends mankind out. So again, church, from the outset of scripture, God's revelation of himself has always been connected to the sending of his people. 
God reveals himself, not that we just might know him, but that others might know him through us. So God, who is perfectly self-sustaining, in need of no one, he has chosen to disclose himself to mankind, and the call of mankind is to make him known to others. So that's the call. And then second, we see the response. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then here's Isaiah's response. Here I am, send me. Now, this is the second time that we have seen Isaiah speak through this chapter. But the first time he responds, it's not anything to the effect of here I am, send me. What are the first words that we hear come out of Isaiah's mouth a few verses ago? It's not here I am, send me. It's woe is me for I am lost. So when he comes into the presence of a holy God, it magnifies the depths of his sin. And his response is basically, kill me or get me out of here. He knows that he doesn't belong there. He knows that he can't stand in the presence of a holy God. But we've now, in just the span of a few verses, gone from woe is me for I am lost to here I am, send me. What's the difference? The difference is what we saw last week. It's the grace and the mercy of God. God, in his grace, in his goodness, in his kindness, he's purified him of his sins. He has qualified him to stand in his presence. He stands justified, blameless in the sight of the just judge and ruler of the universe. And so he has moved very quickly from woe is me, I am lost, to here I am, send me. From I do not belong here to I will do whatever you ask me to do. And the difference, church, is the gospel. The difference is the good news of the gospel. Because listen, this was our testimony too. Before here I am, send me, there was woe is me for I am lost. You know, my, my favorite hymn that we'll sing you know, pretty frequently is uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. You know, I, I grew up singing this in the church like many of you. And I, I probably listened to it like 10,000 times in, in my life. You know, between singing it together with other believers in church to just listening to it in the car or wherever it is that I am. And it's something about that line that every time we sing it, I mean, just joy wells up in my heart. I mean, just emotion that I, I really can't contain. I just get choked up and I have to lift my hands. When we sing, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. And man, man, that just always messes me up because every time we sing those words, I'm reminded I was the stranger. I was the stranger. I was wandering from the fold of God. Like that was my story. Like I'd grown up in all of it and I made every effort to walk away from Jesus, but I was the one from the 100 that left the 99 and Jesus was the good shepherd who sought me out. That's what he had done for me. And man, that, that just wells up joy within my heart every time we sing these words, because listen, that is your testimony. Listen, you were not born mostly good. You were born spiritually dead. Like we weren't born good people, we were born dead people in need of the grace and the mercy of God poured out on us through Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no such thing as a boring testimony. You and I were on one way fixed roads to eternal destruction, but God in his mercy rescued us through his son, Jesus. That's our story. Woe is me for I am lost to now present ourselves saying, Lord, here I am, send me. This is the only appropriate response to the good news of the gospel. People who were sinful, people who were broken, people who were condemned, but who were then rescued from their sins. The only appropriate response is to then throw our lives into making this God known. 
It's to making that same message, to making that same goodness known to the ends of the earth. That this is why, as Jesus is commissioning his disciples in Acts 1.8, he says to them, and you will be my witnesses. You're going to be storytellers. You're going to testify about what you've seen and about what you've experienced and about what you've heard. Listen, this is our call as followers of Christ. What is your testimony? What is your story? Leave proclaiming the good things that the Lord has done for you. This is the call for every believer in Jesus Christ to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So we've seen the call and we've seen the response, but now let's look at the mission. Because again, you and I, this still begs the question that we kind of let out with in, in the introduction. Have we truly grappled with the context of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8 through 13? Have we truly understood what we mean with this here I am, send me declaration? Because what we're going to see in verses 9 through 13, which unfortunately many of us tend to ignore, is that this is a very different mission than what most of us probably would have had in mind. So from Isaiah 6, uh, 9 through 13, let's see here the mission. This is what the Lord has given to Isaiah. And he said, go and say to this people. So Isaiah raised his hand. I volunteer as tribute. I'm ready to go. Here I am, send me. I'm all in on this thing. And this is what the Lord says. He says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And Isaiah's like, time out. <laughs> this isn't really what he had in mind. Verse 11, he said, then I said, how long, O Lord? Wasn't signing up for a one-week mission trip here. How long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, the holy seed is its stump. So right away, I think you and I, we look at this passage and we, we just think, okay, maybe this isn't what I signed up for. It's, it's like signing up to coach uh, four and five-year-old t-ball. I've done that before. You think it's going to be one thing until the first practice. And, and then suddenly you're like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this anymore. This isn't quite as fun as I thought it was going to be. And so we, we've got to grapple with, with what's going on here because this is not a vision of, of a Billy Graham crusade. I mean, this is actually the opposite picture of that. It's the exact opposite of what most of us would, would be actually interested in and participating in. So just to, to help break this down a little bit, because at this point, the language really turns prophetic and apocalyptic. And this is essentially what the Lord is saying. He's telling Isaiah, he says, your ministry is going to have a hardening effect on the hearts of the people. Because instead of acknowledging their sins, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, they're going to double down on their sins. They're trying, as we've seen over the last few weeks, they're trying to synchronize their faith with their immorality. They're trying to synchronize it with their nationalistic idolatry. They're trying to synchronize it with their ignorance of injustice, their ignoring of injustice. And that they're trying to pair their faith with all of these things, and the Lord's not having it. And he's like, but their hearts aren't going to soften. They're not going to respond. He says, they're going to double down on their sin, and they're going to reject everything that you say. 
And so we see right away that this is a very different mission than what most of us would probably be interested in signing up for. So, so a few details about the mission given to Isaiah and the implications for us today. First, we need to see that the mission will be rejected and misunderstood. The mission will be rejected and misunderstood. The Lord warned Isaiah, they will see, but they won't actually see. And they will hear, but they won't really hear. You're gonna proclaim the truth to them, but they're not gonna soften their hearts in repentance. They're gonna turn their backs against me and they're going to double down on their sin. Now, uh, at the, up to this point in the book of Isaiah, the first five chapters had really revealed the character of the nation. Chapter one, the Lord condemns them for their hollow, empty, superficial worship. Chapter two, uh, he condemns their corruption. They were corrupted by the demonic idolatry of the nations. Chapter three, he condemns their abuse and their neglect of the poor. Chapter five, he condemns them for having lost their moral compass. They've gotten to the place where they call good evil and evil good. If you turn back just a few pages, Isaiah 6, or excuse me, chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, you could really summarize the Lord's exhortation to the people in the first few chapters. And uh, by virtue of that, the message that would be given to Isaiah, you can really summarize it in verses 16 and 17. These were the primary directives uh, that you could use to summarize the whole of Isaiah's ministry and message. Lord says, Isaiah 1, 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. So you could really, in many ways, summarize the whole of Isaiah's message. It's broader than that, but you could, you could basically summarize the whole of his message that the Lord had given to him in those couple of verses. So you could really summarize the sins of the people of Judah into three categories. There were sins of immorality, there were sins of idolatry, and there were sins of injustice. They were trying to synchronize their faith with their immoral living and lifestyles. They thought they could have the Lord in their sin, and the Lord was saying, you can't have it both ways. They had nationalistic idolatry. They championed love for the king, championed love for the nation above their love for the Lord. And the Lord says, my throne's not up for debate. You can't have it both ways. Our love for him has got to be superseding our love for anything else. We see ignoring the need for justice, for the poor, for the oppressed, for the vulnerable. He says, you're, you're not correcting the injustice that exists in your midst. You're not pleading for the widows and orphans on their behalf. And listen, church, that this is one of those places where we have to be reminded that the words like justice and oppression, these are not liberal words, they're biblical words. And unfortunately, even many conservative Christians, like we've just thrown those words out the window because we're, we're worried it's gonna lead us somewhere that it shouldn't. We're worried about corrupt ideology, uh, ideologies. And so we just kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Like we don't have to pay attention to those words anymore. That's, that's wokeness, whatever that word even means. Somebody please define it. And like we just have to understand, like let, let's rescue the word of God from the culture. Like let, let's take back words that belong to the Lord and define them as he has defined them and not just throw them out because they become politically corrupted. The play here is not to abandon the word of God, it's to see it lived out in the culture around us. And so Isaiah is just speaking this message to these people that this is the word of the Lord through him. This is what you need to do. You need to seek justice. You need to correct oppression. You need to plead on behalf of the vulnerable in your community. These are not liberal ideas, these are biblical ideas. And we need to remember them in this way. This message would be recalled by Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. When we come to Matthew chapter 13, 
We see Jesus very quote, frequently quoting the words of the prophets through, Matthew, uh, through the Gospel of Matthew, particularly the words of Isaiah. Now, uh, many of you remember earlier this spring, we spent several weeks in Matthew chapter 23, the seven woes that Jesus pronounced on the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees for, of, of the day. And, and what Jesus really condemned them for, he said, listen, he was like, you guys are doing the small things really well. He's like, tithing, you're nailing it. Like you tithe out of your spice racks. That's, that's pretty impressive. Jesus actually commends them for this. But he says, but you neglected the weightier matters of the law. You neglected love. You've neglected mercy. You've neglected justice. And it was for those reasons that, the God, that God's wrath was going to be poured out on the people. And so we see Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 13, you want to turn there for, for just a moment, verses 13 through 15, we see the words of Isaiah fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus would often tell stories to the crowds as they listened. He would tell these parables. And these were really a way to indict the religious leaders of the day. It was sort of a, I'm going to tell a story. There's some good characters and some bad characters. You guys need to read between the lines because I'm actually talking about you. But, but instead of, of seeing that, instead of humbling themselves, and instead of, of, of recognizing their sin, they hardened their hearts against his word. And they refused to believe that they were the ones in the story. And this is why Jesus says in Matthew 13, verses 13 through 15, he says, this is why I speak to them in parables. Pay attention. Because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. This is what the Lord spoke through Isaiah. It has been fulfilled today. He says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. This is Jesus saying, the Lord said it was going to happen, and it's happened. You, you, you saw it all, but you didn't really see. And you heard it all, but you didn't really hear. So you and I have to understand our mission is going to be rejected and misunderstood. And, and let, just to make sure, church, we're on the same page here. Jesus is not preaching these words to the secular culture. He's preaching this to the religious culture. I mean, the people who should have known him more clearly above everyone else, his indictment is, listen, you have seen it, but you haven't really seen it. And you've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it ad nauseum, but you've not really heard it. Because our actions never change. Their, their actions never change. They never convinced, confessed their sins. They, they never repented of their wickedness. They doubled down on their sin. And because of this, the Lord said that the words of Isaiah had now been fulfilled. Doubling down on their sins. So, so church, we, we have to know it was true for Isaiah. It was true for Jesus. It's going to be true for you and I today. If you as a Christian in the United States of America, particularly in this ridiculous, polarized, politicized landscape that we live in today, if you're going to stand on the word of God as it is, you're going to face some mess. Like you're going to have to deal with a lot of ignorance. You better be prepared to be maligned. You better be prepared to be misunderstood. You better be prepared to be willfully misrepresented because our culture hates context and loves sound bites. We're going to hear one thing, and regardless of, of whether or not that was the actual intended meeting, there's not going to be any desire. Hey, would you clarify? Would you speak on that? We're going to take it and run and just assume the worst. And you just need to understand that about the cultural moment we live in now. If you're going to stand on the word of God, you're going to speak what it says against both immorality and idolatry and injustice, you're going to face it from all sides. I mean, just, just go down the list here. Again, you speak against immorality in our culture today, those on the left are going to call you a Pharisaic legalist. And that's going to happen. 
Like if you just hold to the standard of the word of God, you're gonna be accused of being a Pharisee. You're gonna be accused of legalism. If you speak against justice, injustice, man, there's gonna be those on the right. They're just automatically gonna accuse you of liberal Marxism, even though they probably can't define those words. Accuse you of wokeness. And it's not wokeness, it's worship. It's our witness. Just reading the Bible this morning. Correct injustice, correct oppression, plead the cause of the widow and the orphan. These are not liberal ideas, they're biblical ideas. And man, some of us have just thrown out whole portions of the word of God because we're worried it doesn't toe the political party lines. Like you just have to recognize it. You're gonna face that from both sides. If you speak even in the church against dead faith and half-hearted nominal commitment to Jesus Christ, we'll see a backdoor exodus of consumer Christians who are unwilling to be made uncomfortable. When we speak against immorality, you speak against injustice, you speak against idolatry, you have to know that for some, the message is just gonna have a hardening effect. They're not gonna have soft hearts that repent and confess and turn to the Lord. They're gonna double down on their sins. And here's the challenge for you and I today, that there's gonna be some who malign us, misrepresent us, misunderstand us willfully. And we still have to be able to look them in the face and say, the Lord bless you and keep you as you go. One of my mentors in ministry is a guy named Clayton King. And he used to tell us that uh, in ministry, I think this is true for all followers of Jesus, you need to have two TH degrees. The first one you need to have is uh, a tender heart. Like you gotta have a tender heart that loves people. It's like the second TH degree you need is a tough hide. Like we're gonna have to be willing to put up with some ignorance, be willing to put up with some mess, be willing to put up with some false accusations, be willing to be maligned, to be misunderstood, to be misrepresented and still look at people in the face and say, the Lord bless you and keep you as you go and pray that their hearts would be softened towards the Lord. We have to be people who do both. Listen, this isn't just true for pastors and for ministers. If you're gonna be faithful to the Lord in the context that we're in today, be prepared to be misunderstood. We also see that this mission may not be what we expected. Again, we had Billy Graham visions, right? Crusade visions, right? Multitudes of people coming to faith in Jesus visions, right? But, but that was the opposite of Isaiah's ministry. You, know, you think about this, like by every measurable modern objective and standard, we would consider Isaiah's ministry to be a total failure. I mean, we'd look at Isaiah, if he was a pastor today, be like, man, something must be wrong over there. Like 90% of the people have left his church. Like, well, what's, something must be wrong. Like not going there anymore. I mean, if we were just measuring it basically by numbers, like Isaiah was just a total failure that the Lord shows them. Like, man, this is gonna be catastrophic. 90% of the people were gonna be lost. There's only gonna be a 10th that remained within that. That's why Isaiah kind of has this moment of honesty. He's like, Lord, how, how long is this gonna go for? Like how, how long is, am I expected this to continue? The Lord says, till the work is done. The ministry was gonna have a hardening effect on the people. What, what the Lord was ensuring through Isaiah was that his perfect justice and judgment would be accomplished on the earth. The message of the gospel, listen, it's, all, it's always doing one of two things whenever we preach at church. It's always either softening hearts toward repentance or it's hardening hearts towards rebellion. Listen, it's happening for some of us this morning right now. Like don't challenge me on my immorality. Don't challenge me on my nationalistic love of country above God, idolatry. Don't challenge me on the fact that I just kind of want to follow Jesus with part of my heart. Like it's happening right now. Heart's not softening towards the Lord, it's hardening against him. 
This mission might not be what we expected. It might not be what we signed up for, but Isaiah had seen the Lord. Isaiah had seen his holiness and his glory and his beauty and his love and his grace and his mercy. He'd seen it all. And he said, yes, Lord, I will go come what may. He didn't volunteer hoping that it might go well. He volunteered knowing that it probably wouldn't go well. And so he lifted his hand and said, here I am and send me. But this is the promise that we have from this passage, as difficult as that seems, is the promise that the Lord will always preserve a remnant. So while the mission might not be what we expected, we also see the mission will ultimately succeed. The Lord promises a tenth will remain. A tenth will remain. Church, no matter how bad things look, no matter how compromised at times even the church looks, the Lord is always preserving a remnant. Jesus has promised that he will build his church and even the gates of hell will not overcome it. The Lord always preserves a remnant of his people. And listen, Hebrews 12 promises his word is always going to accomplish its purpose. The word of God never returns void. And here's why that's good news for you and I today. That means our only failure in sharing the gospel is the failure to share the gospel. Listen, this is what's abundantly clear. We're going to get into this more in a few weeks when we're studying Titus. That This is what's abundantly clear start to finish in scripture. You and I are responsible for the evangelism and Jesus is responsible for the salvation. Okay, like, like we are not responsible for saving anyone's soul. That, that is purely a work of the Lord, purely on the grace of God. That, that is not anything that you and I control, that we can manipulate or coerce or make happen, which means our only failure in sharing the gospel is the failure to share it. We can trust the word of God is always accomplishing its purpose. It will succeed and Jesus will build his church. The mission will succeed no matter how dark and difficult it might seem. So I want to give us just three challenges quickly here as we close out together this morning. How do we respond to all this? What's our response in light of Isaiah's response today? Well, first challenge for us is to listen for his voice. Now we've spent a few weeks building up to this particular point. So I want to make sure this doesn't go unspoken. Pay really close attention here, church. Today's the first time we've heard the voice of the Lord. Don't miss this. Before Isaiah could hear the voice of the Lord, he had to be purified of his sin. You're sitting there today and you're wondering, man, I I just feel like God is distant. I feel like God is silent. I feel like God is not near to me. Would you have the humility to consider that maybe there's some sin in your life that's going unaddressed? It could be like the people of Judah. Maybe you're just trying to synchronize your faith with, with immoral lifestyle and practice and behavior. You're trying to synchronize your faith with a, an idolatrous love of country above love for the Lord. You're trying to synchronize your faith with the fact that we continuously turn blind eyes to injustice and pretend like the problems don't exist and it's just political, media-driven, and we can just ignore the cries of those who are hurting. And listen, what we see all through the book of Isaiah, just all through the prophets in the Old Testament is you you can't have it both ways. I mean, we either surrender all that to the Lord and we deal honestly with our sin or we should not expect to hear his voice. If we want to hear the voice of the Lord, we have to be willing to deal honestly with sins. I mean, what, what, what sin is in your heart that you've got to deal with? What sin exists in your home? Husbands, wives, like what's, what's going unaddressed? 
And we can't expect to hear the voice of the Lord until we're willing to deal honestly with our sin, with open, honest confession, lay it at his feet, and trust that when we do, when we confess, he's faithful and he's just, and he'll purify us of our sins. We listen for his voice, but before we can hear his voice, we have to deal honestly with sin. Second, accept your calling. Accept your calling. Listen, maybe God is calling you to like a Billy Graham mission. Praise God for that. Call those people to faith in Jesus and watch them flood down the stairs and the audience. It's, it's amazing, right? Like still see the YouTube videos. It's incredible. Like maybe the Lord has called you to do that. Maybe you're going to reach 2 million people globally for the rest of your life through faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're one of those evangelists. Man, every time you open up the, your mouth and say the word Jesus, people are like, I need him. Probably not most of us, but some of you, you have that gift and praise God for it. Embrace that gift. Embrace that calling. But for some of us, let's consider that maybe this calling isn't what we thought it was going to be that maybe the Lord is calling us to speak his truth, not just so that salvation will be accomplished, but so that his righteous judgment will be accomplished. It might not be what we thought we were signing up for, but can we trust that if we accept the calling, if we raise our hands and say, yes, Lord, here I am, send me, that we can embrace it as his will, come what may. So listen for his voice, accept your calling, and last, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. This might not go the way we thought that it was going to go. A tradition tells us that Isaiah's life ended with him being martyred and being sawn in two. You still want to sign up for that mission trip? And yet he still willingly lifted up his hand and said, yes, Lord, I will go, because he understood that there was something greater, there was a higher calling than numerical success. There was a higher calling than acclaim and praise in the eyes of man. His reward was the glory of God. Can you and I be content with this? Can you and I be content with knowing that our ultimate reward isn't for us, it's God getting his glory. And knowing that by him getting his glory, you and I will find our greatest joy. Can we be content to know that our goal is to bring God glory with our praise, with our lives, as we wholeheartedly set ourselves apart for his mission and his purpose? You know, we've, we've spent a lot of the last time, the last few weeks, praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. And there's these really powerful testimonies. I hope you'll go read some of these that, that are just coming out from the churches and the pastors that are there. And the Gospel Coalition shared one of these a couple of weeks ago as a pastor who, um, when the, the nation was being overrun, he was gathered together with his church doing what you and I are doing right now. That's all they knew to do in the moment. We're going to come together to pray, to seek the Lord, to rally around his word, to sing. And the, the song that was chosen by the song leader that day was uh, Martin Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And so they, they'd sang the first few stanzas of the song. And um, as they were getting to the fourth stanza, there was a brother from within the church who came and whispered into his ear, that Afghanistan's president had, fled, president had fled the country and that the Taliban were now in control. And as those words were being whispered to him, they finished singing the words of that final stanza. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still and his kingdom is forever. Those are people who have seen the Lord. And I just want to ask you at the end of a few weeks of this, have you seen the Lord? 
Have you seen something that you can't unsee or are your heart and your mind and affections constantly captured and captivated 24 hours a day by everything in this world that's not Jesus? Because church, church, here's what we have to understand. Now you and I, we still live in a place. We are facing nothing, absolutely nothing like our brothers and sisters in Christ encountered. Listen to me, the masks weren't persecution, okay? Get over it. They weren't persecution. And it's just, it's a slap in the face to those who face real persecution globally every time we cry wolf over these things. But pushback is coming. I mean, we're starting to see it a little bit more, bits and pieces here and there, pushback is coming. There's going to come the day in our culture, in our nation, that following Jesus Christ is really going to be costly. And the only ones who are gonna endure in that day are those who have seen the Lord who've seen him in his holiness and his glory and his beauty and his majesty, who've seen something that they can't unsee, something that's captivated their hearts and their minds and their affections and their imaginations to the point that we will raise our hands and say, yes, Lord, I am here, here I am, send me, come what may. Because we know that there is absolutely nothing that we can lose in this life that we will not gain a million fold in the eternity to come. Lord, here I am, send me. The Apostle Paul, Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, he lays out a series of questions to the church in Rome. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they're sent? But as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Listen, our feet are beautiful because our news is good. And the question is not, are we sent? The question is, will we go? Have you seen the Lord? And will you raise your hand to him and say, yes, Lord, because my story used to be, woe is me, I am lost. Today, my testimony is, here I am, send me. We lift up our hands and say, here I am, send me. So you just bow your heads with me for just a moment. We've gone over time a little bit this morning. We had a lot happening in this service today. So just very quickly, you're gonna hear the voice of the Lord, we have to deal with sin. And just in light of what we've seen this morning, is, is there immorality that exists in your life? Are there ways you're trying to live your life that are in contradiction to the word of God? You can't have it both ways. We've got to honestly confess that and lay it at his feet this morning. Is there idolatry, man? Is, is there like the people of Judah? Is there love of nation? Is there love of king? Above love for the Lord? You, you can't have it both ways. The Lord will have no rivals to his throne. Maybe we just need to confess that before him this morning. Are there ways we've ignored injustice? I mean, we just turned a blind eye to the challenges of this world. We can't have it both ways. We have to be people who deal honestly with sin. Accept your ministry, fulfill your calling. Where's he leading you to, to go? What's he calling you to do? So Father, we come to you this morning. We lay our sin before your feet because you already know what it is. We can't hide it from you. So Father, give us humble hearts that are willing to lay that bear before your throne that it might be burned up, not by just the holiness of your wrath against sin, but by the holiness of your mercy for sinners. As we come to the table this morning, Lord, 
Help us to see you once again in your love for us and what you've done for us, giving us your son, Jesus. Hear our voices be glorified as we sing that you are worthy. We declare your praise above all else today. We ask all this in Jesus' name and everyone said,